Hello and welcome to the latest edition of China Inc. by Bamboo Works, where we discuss the latest business and financial news from China and what it all means. I'm Doug Young, Bamboo Works editor in chief, and I'm joined today by Rene Vangustin, one of our founding partners, who's also a longtime China watcher and former investment banker. Today we'll look at China's recent crackdown on big tobacco, or more precisely, corruption in its state-controlled tobacco industry. We'll also look at a newly announced breakup plan at a tech company called Agora, and what it might say about the future of globally-minded Chinese companies. We'll start with big tobacco, which has always confounded many foreigners like myself living in China. On the one hand, the government acknowledges smoking is dangerous and should be avoided. But on the other, the country has the world's largest number of smokers, and its state-controlled tobacco monopoly is a huge source of tax revenues for the central government. Making matters even cloudier, so to speak, uh, the tobacco regulator and tobacco monopoly are essentially one and the same. Now, it seems Beijing's decade-old anti-corruption campaign is finally finding its way into this strange quarter of China Inc., whose organization makes it ripe for such corruption. A new feature in financial media Taishin says that nearly 20 high-ranking officials from both the regulator and the state monopoly have been caught up in the clampdown that began in 2021. So, Renee, can you please explain to our listeners how China's tobacco industry has evolved into this strange creature that we see now and, and why this leads to this kind of corruption? Well, I think we have to, with so many things in China, we have to go back, way back to uh, the beginning of New China, if you want, um, the, uh, at a time when pretty much every business, um, every enterprise, every company, at least that amounting to anything meaningful, um, was owned by the state. And as we all know, that uh, lasted for decades and decades. At the time of the opening of China, some of these things started to change, but it took quite a long time. Um, some of the big companies that were 100% state-owned ended up being partially privatized and, and IPO'd and, and listed on China, Chinese and, and foreign markets towards the end of the 90s and then subsequently as well. And if you go back to that period of time, um, that affected the oil and gas uh, companies, the airlines, uh, the banks, or at least some of the banks and so on. And it just seems that going through that process uh, that is not even, uh, you know, complete today, that somehow the tobacco industry escaped or remained uh, completely <laughs> in the hands of the state. Um, maybe because uh, they was just so big, so powerful, they had no competition. If you look at what happened to the airlines, the banks, um, the oil companies, they were obviously, the, the, the telecom companies, they were obviously multiple players. So none of them presumably had as much power as it seems to be the case with the tobacco industry because it had a monopoly and there were mm. no other players. There was just one player. And I would assume that therefore at the top of that organization, 
the business itself, the regulators, and so on, because of the concentration and accumulation of power. Um, the top must have had a tremendous amount of power. And as we have seen occasionally, uh, sometimes that allows uh, companies or political factions historically and so on to resist the power from the central government. I can right. only imagine that that happened, but you know, it has happened before. So it's likely that that is what happened here. And uh, one could look at this and particularly uh, the drive to eradicate corruption um, as a campaign that will inevitably, um, seemingly, substantially weaken the uh, top management, if you want, the, the, the siege of power in the regulator and in the actual business company and potentially, presumably, make it easier for the central government to finally force uh, some reforms. Um, mm. Time will tell, we will see. But, you know, there's a saying that is true around the world, China and many other places, that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Right. And, um, you know, we've seen that playing out in many countries around the world on many continents. So I would not necessarily look at this as being exclusively a China phenomenon. Right. Yeah, it's it's interesting, actually. Uh, and I encourage people to take a look at this, this feature. I mean, uh, apparently the some of the people, and, and maybe this is true in other industries as well, were quite highly regarded and, you know, seen as very capable and, you know, whatever. But like you say, I guess once you get into this position of power and, and especially when you have no competition and, and you control so much uh, money and, and business, I guess it just naturally corrupts these guys. I think that management capability can be greatly enhanced or, uh, or <laughs> misconceived when when you have a monopoly and you have so much demand for your products uh you don't have to be a genius to you know run a company that almost uh, you know in spite of itself becomes successful right um but that's that's another story very clearly though and this may be one of the reasons why historically it was untouchable this company uh, compared to a lot of other companies in China, SOEs, partially uh, privatized SOEs and so on, has been hugely profitable. So its contribution uh, to the state has been in the form of profits, um, you know, I would probably say sustainably and consistently. Hmm. And in addition, obviously, the uh, taxes that are generated from the sale of tobacco. So you've got a two channels, if I can call it that way, of money going to the central government. I cannot think of any other industry in China that um, that would have been doing, been able to do that consistently over the years. Oil and gas companies have had ups and downs. As we know, uh, the airlines have ups and downs. They're profitable some years. They're not profitable other years. Even the banks, you know, uh, two decades ago had to be rescued. Right. So I don't think that, uh, I can't think of any other 
sector of the Chinese economy that could have contributed so consistently and, and, and in such a big way to the central government revenues as tobacco. And that probably gave, you know, those guys at the top some leverage that others didn't have. Right, right, right. Everybody, I guess you can you can skip that uh, air trip or, you know, like you say, oil prices go up and down. But these uh, smokers need to get their daily fix of, uh, of smoking. Right. So I guess that's a, a fixed cost. Well, well, can you tell me, I mean, do you see anything? Uh, obviously, you know, we're not in the, the ranks of power in the central government. But I mean, just based on sort of the way things evolve in China and, you know, this crackdown, I mean, any thoughts on sort of what might be in store for this monopoly in the future? Um, and, you know, will China ever get serious about stamping out smoking more aggressively? Well, I would think that China will have to continue to make progress in reducing smoking. I'm not aware of any country who has ever been able to completely eradicate it, but uh, the cost the indirect cost of uh, indirect cost of smoking must have a pretty substantial impact on um, you know the cost of healthcare right. in China and therefore um, a direct cost to the government. I read a statistics I think two or three days ago that said that I think close to forty percent of deaths in China directly attributed to the use of tobacco. Wow, really? So that's got to be a huge and enormous cost, an enormous cost uh, for the country, for the national budget and so on, to the healthcare portion, I would think. Um, also, when you think about all the problems in China about lack of uh, workers, at least in certain parts of the economy and so on, you would think that there would be you know, enough incentives for the government to try and reduce the uh, number of, you know, what you could very easily call unnecessary deaths. So this mm -hmm. has a lot of, you know, social, smoking has a lot of social implications, as we all know, in addition to pure health care. So yes, I would think that the government is obviously fully aware of that. I would think that they will continue to do something about it, how fast they could be successful and to what extent is hard to predict, you know, as we've seen in uh, in Europe and in the U.S., and particularly in the U.S., starting 30 years ago, laws were passed to, you know, uh, prohibit smoking in public places, on airplanes, and all of that, but you still have people smoking today, and that's right. a 30-year-old effort, so this is not going to disappear very quickly in any country and not in China or in the any other parts of Asia where there's also seemingly some sort of, you know, cultural aspect attached to it. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, I guess, the rate is much higher here, at least among men. Right. Okay. Well, let's move on. Uh, next, we're going to look at a story that appeared on our pages at Bamboo Works. Um, it seems a tech company called Agora, which is relatively small, but doing some interesting stuff with technology. Uh, it seems they were tired of getting caught up in all the friction between the U.S. and China, and they announced they're going to break themselves up, or they have broken themselves up into a China company and then another company that's focused on its business in the rest of the world. Talking about what they do, Agora makes 
technology that allows for what's called real-time engagement that, for example, lets people sing karaoke songs together online in, in real time and all sorts of other things like online uh, chat rooms and things like that. So this particular breakup comes just months after Alibaba announced its much higher profile split into six operating units, each with its own management. And we've also seen some similar announcements from other companies. Are these related or if not, then how does this Agora deal differ from Alibaba? Well, I would say sign uh, of the times and sign of things to come. Um, the um, In China, it is not unusual for companies who pick on an emerging trend or detecting uh, a new trend to kind of jump on the bandwagon and start doing the same thing. That's point number one. Hmm. Point number two, um, yes, I'm sure looking at this, there are a number of companies that are taking some measures that are not necessarily as radical or complete as this. Uh, for instance, you look at Pindodo and uh, and the uh, the move of headquarters to Ireland and the separation of their China business and, and their global business on the other side. Um, I think that um, Sheen is to some extent doing something similar, um, including the fact that they are headquartered actually in Singapore, but Delgus is still primarily a Chinese company. We have the more recent example outside China, kind of, which is the announcement by Sequoia um, that they were going to split their business in three different companies, including changes of names, hmm. um, one that would cover China, one that would cover India and Southeast Asia, and then the original company focusing on the U.S. Um, for uh, very obvious reasons, which, um, you know, you're not looking here exactly at the same thing, um, you're not looking at a Chinese company trying to, you know, separate its businesses, but very clearly Sequoia became concerned about the uh, issues between the U.S. and China, uh, the expected set of measures that would limit the ability of uh, U.S. investors to invest in certain types of companies in China and so on, which could therefore have had a pretty negative impact on them overall. So you look at all of these things and, you know, if you run a company, you kind of like, okay, why not create separate entities? And then you've got, you would normally have to make absolutely certain that all the way to the top, it is completely separated. Right. Um, and then you could claim that you are, you know, these units are totally independent from each other, which is what Sequoia basically has announced that uh, will happen, that the, each, each company in each region will be on its own completely separate from, from the others. I'm not sure in the case of Agora how technically they're doing that, but you know, if you look, for instance, at uh, ByteDance and TikTok, TikTok is a separate legal entity, but it's still obviously attached to ByteDance in more ways than one, and that certainly has not appeased, at least certain 
US regulators and, and politicians in becoming willing to consider TikTok as a totally separate independent entity. And, uh, and therefore it doesn't necessarily solve the political problem. So you really, you really have to look at, um, at all of these actions that are being undertaken and look very deeply to see how the separation takes place, how complete it is, uh, or whether there's still certain relationships and so on, which may then prevent any company from completely isolating itself from political risk. Right, right. And this, uh, the Agora case, I think is similar to actually Alibaba. There's like going to be a holding company that's going to own the two separate pieces. I think the Alibaba is doing the same thing. Um, but I guess if the holding company is in China, you know, I guess there's too many questions. Um, obviously, there does seem to be a trend going on here. I mean, do you think we'll see more of these yeah. sort of breakups going forward and how might they evolve? Yeah, I think so. I think so. We will see more of them. I think that unless, and I, I would say even if, um, you know, the relationship between China and, and the U.S. improves, I think that some people, at least some companies, will always have in the back of their mind that it could get worse again. Mm -hmm. uh, and that, you know, if you just assume that the storm is over and you don't do anything, that you might very well get caught in the next storm. So from a management standpoint of a company and at the level of the board and, so, and, and the level of the CEO and so on, um, if, if you have that kind of, you know, foot in, in those two different parts of the world, all under one roof and so on, and maybe depending on the kind of business that, that you're in, um, you have to at least consider uh, whether you should do something or not. So I think that we will see uh, more cases mm -hmm. uh, going forward. It may not make sense for just about any or every uh, industry, but definitely, I think, for industries that could be viewed as linked to things like, you know, the um, PLA in China, for instance, or the equivalent in the United States, when you look at it from the China side, I think that those companies will, be, will increasingly come under pressure to separate their activities, their businesses, uh, in different countries, mm -hmm. and uh, and maybe at some point in time, you know, uh, Europe will also start looking at it differently. I just read this morning that uh, the European Commission, so pretty much, you know, what you would call the central government of Europe, even if it doesn't have the power, say, of the federal government in the U.S., but is actually seriously considering banning. Huawei from 5G networks oh. all over Europe. So right, right. Uh, this is a reflection on you know the kind of world that we're in today, these days. I hmm. don't see that changing dramatically, so I expect that we're going to see more cases like this. Whether hmm. companies will do it right or half right <laughs> um, is, is a different story. 
Right. And and I agree. I guess we really just have to wait, you know, for things to get tested to sort of see, you know, what TikTok can show that it successfully resisted a Chinese request for, you know, information on users or something like that. Maybe that'll somehow appease the, you know, the, the government people who are so worried about this stuff. But Well, yeah, you know, I mean, I don't live in Washington, thank God, <laughs> and, uh, and I don't have anything to do with politics in the United States, but, but I think that the suspicion is just such now that nobody, even if it happened in one case, nobody, or lots of people, at least in the political circles in the U.S., will continue to believe that it could still happen in the future. Right. Um, I, I, you know, I think that, you know, that train has left the station <laughs> and I don't think that, I don't think that we're going to have any major reversal of thinking about issues like that. Right. The way the politicians look at it. Good yeah. point. Let's wrap it up there. Um, thanks everybody for listening this week. If you like what you hear, please tell your friends about us and rate us and share us on your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to join us again next week for another edition of China Inc. when we'll look once more at all the latest trending China business topics. Hope to see you then. Thanks all and goodbye for now. Thank you all. Goodbye.